Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning, time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. The last week, a report came through indicating that in the last 15 months, the amount of solar power generation capacity on the roofs of homes and businesses has now increased to 4,400 megawatts, or as the report claims, around four times what it was in March last year. Professor Mark Swilling writing in Daily Maverick that since March last year, South African homes and businesses have spent around 54 billion rand on rooftop installations. The impact of this is to save us from around two stages of load shedding. But this is also not necessarily the best way to build new capacity. Each solar installation may save that house or business from load shedding. But as I understand it, it would probably be much cheaper if government had invested in this capacity and managed it through a national grid. There are other changes, including in some places such as Mojave or Sotuba, where community cooperatives and small businesses are trying, small companies are trying to produce power and sell it or share it among community members. So what is changing and what is not changing? And to have a transition managed in this way, in other words, not by government, does that pose certain changes? First this morning, the author of that Daily Maverick article, Professor Mark Swilling, is co-director of the Centre for Sustainability Transitions at the University of Stellenbosch. Then the experiences of one company that's done this in a small town. Chris Bosch is the CEO of Rural Maintenance in Mofobe around Frankfurt. And finally, does this transition and the way it's being managed pose any dangers? Lungile Machele is an energy economist. We start then with Professor Mark Swilling. Professor Swilling, good morning and thanks for your time. Morning. I had to sit down when I read your piece when you said that South Africans had spent 54 billion rand on rooftop solar installations in just the last 15 months. That's a huge amount of money in one area. Yes, Stephen, it's a, it's a huge amount and it's all been raised from South African financial institutions as households and businesses go to their banks and say, we need to be protected from load shedding, uh, give us a loan and uh, we will be able to improve our energy security. Did the information then that you quoted come from banks or did it come from, from other areas? I mean, it's, a, it's such a big amount of money. I mean, it's a, the kind of money that could build a small power station for Eskom. Well, the, the figures of 4.4 gigawatts, 4,400 megawatts, comes from ESCOM itself uh, in their uh, regular uh, report on the state of the system. Uh, and then uh, uh, working out the, the cost, basically equate that to utility scale solar and increase that by 60%, which is roughly uh, the, the higher cost of rooftop solar compared to utility scale solar. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Um, so the impact of this amount of rooftop solar, how much load shedding is that saving us from? I mean, I presume that someone, if you are living in an area, if you do not have solar, you rely only on Eskim, and the person next to you does have solar, you don't get their solar, but it still helps you because it avoids Eskim load shedding a bit. Yeah, it's not going to help you at that neighborhood level. Uh, but the overall impact of uh, 4.4 gigawatts of rooftop solar is definitely contributing to the lowering of uh, the load, load shedding that we've seen in, in recent months, which is why ESCOM published those numbers, because everybody is asking, you know, how is this possible? 
uh, that we have less road load shedding, but there isn't necessarily evidence of very significant improvements. There are improvements, but not significant improvements in the performance of the power station. Some of them have even got worse. So how do we explain this? And obviously, during the winter months, there is, is um, uh, less heavy use as, as big in industrials go into maintenance. There's, uh, there was extra more wind than expected, but rooftop solar is definitely contributing to the lowering of load shedding. So 4,400 megawatts of rooftop solar, that would normally, if that were Eskom power, that would be four stages of load shedding. How many stages of load shedding is this saving us from? Is it four stages or is it less than that? It's, it's, you can't be exact about this, and I haven't seen a detailed report, uh, technical report. So a lot of people are saying uh, roughly two stages. Okay. Now, back to your point about uh, if this has been done through utility. So individuals and companies have spent this money. They're doing it to protect themselves. If government had invested the same money, would that have been more efficient and actually led to more power generation capacity being built? Well, uh, if, if government had that amount of money and if that amount of money went into utility scale uh, utilities, the overall uh, cost of that 4.4 gigawatts would have been uh, 60%, roughly 60% cheaper. Uh, and that would have had a, a, you know, a, a significant benefit on a macroeconomy and the cost of energy. But uh, at the same time, what we need to recognize is that this is a really good thing because this is finance coming from South African financial institutions, which is not going into the shopping mall and driving up inflation. It's going into fixed assets that have generative economic benefits. And, and that's the kind of thing that we need. We need a lot more South African liquidity going into fixed assets. And, and, and unless we do that, and this is just a small example of that, we're really not going to get the kind of economic growth that we need. So what this means then is that um, companies uh, particularly will have spent the money. They don't, probably will have very reduced or no electricity bills, depending, for the foreseeable future. In other words, they've paid up front one of their major costs. Yes, that's true. But they definitely are going to continue to um, uh, have electricity bills. So they are fixed. If you, are con if you remain connected to the grid, they are fixed charges, irrespective of how much you use, firstly. And secondly... Uh, you will always, uh, well, I suppose if you overbuild, yeah, you can, you can significantly, you won't be uh, taking electrons off the grid, but most of them are not overbuilding. They are, will be using electricity off the grid. So they can probably reduce their overall electricity bill by around, I would say, 70%. There's another aspect to this, which I understand is that community groups or small companies in rural areas, co-ops, are producing electricity for themselves. How is that happening? Is that actually working? Yes, there is a there is an increasing um, uh, there is there is an increasing number of those, and happens in two ways. So it can be a community that gets together in the form of a cooperative, buys uh, buys a set of panels, or gets a service provider to set up the panels, and they have an off-grid uh, system or a grid-connected system of one kind or another. So that's one option, and that's the Rebecca example uh, that you referred to. Um, but there's another way. So there is a social there are a couple of social enterprises, one of which is the ISHAC, which is a social enterprise that is getting contracts from local authorities to install rooftop solar in informal settlements that are not grid connected. 
And that started off in Stellenbosch, initiated by some of my students, but has spread. Uh, and there are other examples uh, of that. So that's, that's a form of social enterprise delivery, community-based uh, rooftop solar in, in, in areas of, in informal settlements. Could that be one of the ways of the future, that instead of everyone relying on one big national grid, there'll be some blocks or cooperatives or smaller providers providing power in some places or maybe many places? Well, it's debatable whether that's a, that's a preferred future, but that's definitely what's unfolding. Uh, so, you know, so up until very recently, every single South African, even if you weren't connected to the grid, uh, assumed that your energy needs are going to be met by connecting to the grid. That, you know, that was like just a completely unquestioned article of faith living in, in South Africa. That's collapsed. Um, and, and so now you have people, who, uh, corporates, communities, local authorities, uh, coming up with their own solutions. And is that a good idea? Well, it might exacerbate inequalities. That's the, that's the concern. There's a real value in a national asset like the grid, which is really valuable. I mean, we're the only one really across Africa that has such, such an asset that can be used for cross-subsidizing the poor. Uh, and, you know, that, we might lose that. I'm not saying we will, but, you know, that's one of the concerns. Professor Mark Swilling, thank you. Co-director of the Center for Sustainability Transitions at the University of Stellenbosch. We'll have more on that issue that he's just raised in a moment. It's 12 minutes now. It's 18 minutes now to nine o'clock. Uh, Chris Bosch is the CEO of a company called Rural Maintenance. He work, he runs their Mafube branch around the town of Frankfurt. Chris, good morning. Thank you for your time. Morning, Stephen. You have a solar power plant there. You sell the electricity to residents in that council. How does your system work? Uh, our system is, is slightly different. We signed an agreement with the municipality and uh, with the support of the municipal council in 2011 already, where we actually receive electricity from Eskom and use the municipal network to actually distribute the electricity to the residents in the town. And uh, uh, probably about 18 months ago or so, uh, the residents heard that we were planning to to look at uh, uh, generating electricity within the boundary of the town where we actually use the electricity to uh, augment the Eskom supplies because we were all concerned about about what's happening at, at Eskom. And obviously, one is two ways to go about it. Either sit and do nothing and blame government or secondly, assist government and actually get on and get up from, from your desk and, and uh, come up with solutions, which is exactly what we've done. So a number of farmers and businesses with ourselves got together. We all put in money. And um, the, hearing the figures that, that uh, Mark has, has given, we are currently generating about 4.4 megawatts in uh, Frankfurt, which is about 0.1% of uh, the figures that has, has been uh, mooted as being put on the, on the national grid. And we can see that we are reducing uh, the dependence on Eskom in the daytime, which means that Eskom is definitely getting a breather um, during the day and uh, as, as we're using a lot less energy uh, because it's being supplied now by solar. So I, I think what, what's very good and positive about our, these case studies that's now actually happening is it shows that if these solutions where you actually use the electricity, if you can generate electricity where you, where you use it at the point of use, 
uh, it actually is a tremendous benefit to Eskom and uh, with very little other grid implications because you're not using the, the national grid. And that's how our system is, is, is working and uh, it is being commissioned and has been commissioned and has been operating now in the various phases over the last uh, uh, year or so, uh, Stephen. So four megawatts, how expensive is that to set up? Look, it, it, it is and that's why we're going for community projects. Uh, to do this on each person for itself, the figures vary from a sixth of what it would cost to uh, actually 60% of, uh, of the fees that, that Marcus correctly mentioned there. So the, the better the scale, the more people are involved, the cheaper it is for, for every person to, to get involved. So typically in this community project, uh, the community had to find the land, buy the land, put in water, do bore rolls, um, in, improve the grid access, because it's one thing to to build a solar farm, but where does that energy go to? There, there needs to be power lines ready to actually receive that. Even within a small town, you need to upgrade that. So it was relatively expensive. Uh, and on, on our small scale, uh, we spent around 100 million rand on, on this uh, solar plant because it's the security, the fencing, everything else. It's not just the panels and the inverters which mm. people normally associate with the cost of a solar plant. So it's quite a large amount of money. You have to do the capital up front. I presume you charge people for the electricity. How did you work out how much to charge them? No, that's the that's the one thing which is a, is a positive in paying high electricity tariffs in South Africa. It actually now is a no-brainer to go off the grid. And I think that's perhaps something that, that Eskom is, is um, missing, is they're looking at increasing tariffs. But the tariffs are now already so high that this solar farm is actually selling electricity to the distribution entity in Frankfurt at less than what than what the distribution entity can buy the electricity from Eskom. And this entity that's owned by the community is making a, a very good return. It, it was never built to make a return. It was always built to reduce the effects of load shedding. But ultimately, it also turned out that the shareholders, that the community members that gave the money are making a, a very nice uh, return because of the already high tariffs that... that uh, that is prevalent in South Africa. For the moment, you're only providing power when the sun shines, right? You don't have a battery element to this. Uh, that's the next step. We're currently busy. We hope to, you know, within September, take our first transformer zone off load shedding within, within Frankfurt in the central business district because we have procured our first uh, test battery, one megawatt hour of test battery. Uh, we do that on the first transformer zone. Again, a community scheme where all the people who actually buy uh, or who need ele needs electricity, instead of each one of them buying their own little battery uh, and paying a lot more, but, uh, they are now we're now clubbing in together. The community members getting that electricity is clubbing in together. They all buying the the battery for themselves, which means it's about a sixth uh, of the price which they would have paid themselves. And uh, we're going live with that now in um, September, mid-September, we hope, end, end of September, September uh, we'll have our, our trial running. 
and if that works well, we hope to do exactly the same and deploy a 14 megawatt hour battery in Frankfurt thereafter, followed by the other towns to actually take the towns completely off load shedding. But again, the batteries part of the community assets and the, the community now own that asset. And after eight years or so, when when we sell that asset because there may now be enough electricity from elsewhere cheaper then that money goes back to the to the community so in essence they provide money up front but at the end of the day they'll get their money probably everything back and they had the use of of the battery in the meantime Thank you very much indeed, Chris Bosch. Really appreciate the time. The CEO of Rural Maintenance Mafobe, the company involved in running that power plant. In a moment, the energy expert, the economist, Lungile Mashele. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation this morning around how power once again and how you get electricity is changing. Uh, Lungile Mashele is an energy economist. She joins us now. Lungile, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So we've heard about how there's a lot more household uh, power from solar rooftop installations, also for businesses. We've heard about uh, one community, how they've done it there. There are others. For many people, they see this as progress. There's less load shedding and there's more electricity. But does all of this and the way it's happening throw up other problems? So definitely it does. If you look at um, the fact that it's compared that it is about 4,400 megawatts of solar that is being produced to rooftop, um, this is now either residential or commercial and industrial. This basically means that the system operator at ESCOM over and above the 6,200 megawatts installed of those massive renewable energy IPP programs now has to contend with this new challenge. Now, why is it a challenge? Firstly, this 4.4 gigawatts is spread geographically all around the country. It's not at a singular point. One of the benefits of the large uh, renewable energy IPPs is that you've got 100 megawatts to 145 megawatts at a single point. ESCOM knows exactly what is happening at that plant. They have seeped through to that plant. And more importantly, they're able to curtail that plant. Now, if you've got a 1,000 lungilev and seasons who have all of these things on their roof, you're not able to control it. Secondly, this is not um, registered. So most of these systems were installed by individuals and they're not registered. Nobody knows that that they're necessarily there. They come and go and they're visible to the grid as and when. This causes issues not just for ESCOM itself but for the municipality because remember that when we got our homes approved we had to say this was my consumption. This is how much I was going to spend on electricity and they estimated it. Now you've gone and you found a wonderful solution whether it's diesel, whether it's PV which is awesome, but you haven't gone back to tell your municipality that reduce your budget allocation for me. Now your municipality is busy with the, with the distribution grid and the networks and they're upgrading and they're making plans and the substations and they need to make plans not just for you but for people in less fortunate areas in the townships in your rural areas also and you need to subsidize each other right so if you've decided to go off which is perfectly fine but you then have issues that can stay down for other indigent people in your area that are supported by you for the municipality and for its as well so in a way i mean there are other places i have a 
friend who lives in Hong Kong, he says he has a solar panel on his roof, but the solar panel doesn't belong to him. It belongs to uh, the equivalent of the local council. Are there other ways to manage this? And I realize that would be very difficult here. But this has become, I think Professor Swillings used the phrase, a disorderly transition. Has government lost control of what's happening? Government has absolutely lost control and they deserve to lose control. Um, this is a situation 15 years in the making and they should have seen this happening. Um, even in terms of the sales that have been happening with the solar PV providers, they should have insisted that you need to tell us who these people are and they need to register and they do need to get a certificate of compliance you know, of some sort. The easiest way that I've seen this happening is with, for instance, the city of Cape Town, where they've encouraged people to come forward and say, this is my system and I've had it registered and you will not be penalized. They just want to understand what your load is, what your reduction is, what system you have installed, and so they can plan better and they can budget better. Because you can imagine that these municipalities are going full throttle on these plans to reduce load shedding, getting in new, new capacity, but Lindula and Stephen have basically said, well, I'm not really involved, but they're budgeting with you in mind, and they're increasing tariffs with you and I in mind, but we're no longer there. Uh, is there a way for government to regain control? And the one way that I can think of, again, Cape Town's the first example, but Johannesburg, I think, is the second, um, is that people will register and be very happy to be part of the grid if they've got a solar installation that they can make money from or at least receive some credit from. In other words, if the city pays them for the for the electricity that they receive from the solar installation. And what that would do is keep uh, richer people, middle-class people, tied into the grid so you can still then get more electricity to subsidize um, uh, poorer people in the same network. Is that something that councils will almost have to do just to keep people in the grid? Oh, absolutely. It's the easiest, um, well, 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 actually, maybe not the easiest because it would require some grid upgrades and on the dis- distribution system, you would also need to put in your bi-directional meters, which cost about 10,000 rand each. So it's also not an easy or a cheaper option, but it actually is the best option to incentivize people. I know Tiny did say that they are looking towards that method. However, the tariff that they were offering is only about one rand per kilowatt hour versus what people are actually paying which is you know, upwards of two and fifty or even three and twenty in some you know, instances so it's not worthwhile so you would have to incentivize people to a point where they willingly want to participate and we saw this for instance in vietnam where the fee and tariff was extremely high and you got a lot of people interested and this is how Vietnam within a space of a year was able to increase by 9,000 megawatts their rooftop installation. Is there any reason why um, a council should pay a person less per unit of electricity than that person pays to get electricity from the council? So they're basically working it out as take it or leave it, really. Um, and the mathematics is not really clear because 
Botswana offers one tariff and then Joba comes with another tariff and Cape Town, you know, something else. So it's about what they can offer and their affordability as well. But but remember that as a consumer, I'm the one with the power on my roof. I have the excess capacity and we need this excess capacity. So perhaps when it comes to a point where we push for, let's say, I can sell during the evening peak and I can then make double or triple the actual day, daytime tariff, then it might make sense for residential consumers. Thank you very much indeed, Lungile Mashele. Really do appreciate the time. The energy economist bringing an end to your mediated conversation this morning. My thanks also to Chris Bosch, who is the CEO of Rural Maintenance in Mofube. And starting us off today, Professor Mark Swilling, co-director of the Centre for Sustainability Transitions at the University of Stellenbosch. So much changing in our electricity sector uh, at the moment and so many flashy things on roofs at the moment, I'm sure, if you move around, particularly the cities at the moment. Lots to come here on SAFM. We will be back with you tomorrow, obviously watching the situation in Zimbabwe uh, very closely. Also, I think we'll be able to